Hi everyone, I'm Ray Renati, and this is my podcast. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I have something special for you today. An interview, a little conversation with the tremendously talented Suze Allen. I recently spoke with Suze, whom I met a few months ago as I was cast in a reading of three short plays that she wrote. And then recently, she directed a reading of a full-length play called Shooting Star by Martin Holtz, and I had the opportunity to work with her again. It was such a privilege to work with Sue. She is such a talented woman, and she's one of those people whose accomplishments are huge, but her innate humility would never allow her to brag, so I'll do it for her. Suze is a resident playwright at Three Girls Theatre and a co-founder of the company. She is a published author, teacher, dramaturg, and director with credits on both coasts. She was the creator of Fresh New Work San Francisco, the main Playwrights Lab and Short Works Festival, artistic director for the San Francisco Writers and Actors Lab, director for Fertile Ground Writing Studio, and the resident dramaturg and playwriting instructor at the Playwright Center of San Francisco. Her work and the work she has directed has played the Dramatist Guild's SF Footlights, Tides Theater, Brava Theater, 450 Geary, The Marsh, Intersection for the Arts, No Space, The Phoenix, Out North Contemporary Art House in Anchorage, Alaska, Cold, and the San Francisco and the world-famous Edinburgh Fringe Festivals. Oh, you get the picture. She's devoted to theater, and we're lucky to have her here. So without further ado, Suze Allen. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. I think we just met recently with, with the reading that you asked me to be in, the couple of readings. I saw you at the Theater Critics Circle Awards last year, and your company had won uh, that award. Yeah, Luskin Award. That was very exciting. Three Girls Theater. And been going for six years. I was one of three co-founders with Lee Brady, AJ Mm -hmm. Baker, and myself. And our goal, and it's still our goal, is to put women's work on stage where it belongs. That's our uh, moniker. And that's what we've been doing. We have female resident playwrights. Uh, We do original Bay Area voices and We produce a couple of shows a a year from our pool of resident playwrights, and it's been a very gratifying and wonderful experience for me. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a great effort to um, just make sure that gender parity, that that we're hearing women's voices as playwrights. And that's been a really big issue on the national spectrum, like with the Dramatists Guild. They do the Lilly Awards. And when I first read about it and I was working with AJ Baker on one of her plays, I thought we, we have to do just women's plays. We just have to show them that women can write, that women's voices are strong and that needs to be our focus. And it it is so. And uh, the company's ever growing despite not having its own physical theater space, but uh, it's, it's going very well, uh, especially under the artistic direction of AJ Baker. 
I was the original artistic director and I was so happy to pass on the, yeah. <laughs> the baton to AJ because <laughs> that is a big job. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Since uh, uh, it's really impossible to make a living as an artistic director in a small theater company. In the United yeah, States, yeah, there was I no think. living to be made, but there yeah. was, you know, that's yeah. always the struggle for all of us, yeah. especially in this country. There's no funding, um, but how do you make theater happen and keep your life going in a positive, you know, <laughs> positive so way? What are you doing now to make theater happen? Well, I know you're um, doing things. <laughs> I am doing things, and I was so happy to have you in the reading of Shooting Star. And I really loved meeting you when you performed in my readings of my plays at the Three Girls Theater Salon at the Phoenix Theater. That was, I love your energy. You're a great actor and uh, you're fun to be around. So that's always good. I like that. I think that's, to me, like, <laughs> that's a, a lot of a triple threat, you know? Like, <laughs> well, you're fun to be around too. Can... I really enjoy you know, doing your three plays. They had, sort of a dark humor to them that I can relate to myself. That's true, right? Or was I misinterpreting? No, <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, and it I always feel like uh my kind of uh humor and yeah. dark humor and uh intensity in the playwriting isn't everybody's cup of tea. So it's really great when I find actors that like, oh my God, I love this. And that's one of the reasons, you know, for the leave of absence. I mean, I think that Three Girls Theater, you know, they're doing a lot of great things, but I, I feel like I needed to expand my horizons a little bit for my kind of work. And where a lot of times our membership was <laughs> coming to see my work and going, huh, <laughs> really, huh, wow. You must have a twisted mind. I've heard that many times. You must have a twisted well, mind. There are a lot of people in Hollywood who've made a lot of money because they have twisted minds, quote unquote. So I think it's a good if thing. If only, if only for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, but it was, yes, a, it was a pleasure to work with you and your, your, your caliber of acting is um, wonderful. And, uh, I love that we had some levity with this last play, Shooting Star by Martin Holtz, and uh, you were fantastic in it. And you got to do all those voices, which were, you did a great job. Well, I really I thought appreciated Martin's your work. Thanks. I thought Martin's play was really, it's a good play. I could see it being produced and doing very well. Yeah, and that's the yeah. thing. That's kind of my, what I champion you know, Martin's a Dramatist Guild member. I'm a I'm the Bay Area Dramatist Guild representative. And that's how I met him at a Lauren Gunderson event that I had staged at the Phoenix. And he just, like so many playwrights, was just expressing his frustration and his angst at what he felt, you know, he had a good play. It was a timely play and he couldn't get any traction with it. So... I just finally said, I'll, I'll do a reading for you. Let's do the reading because I know that feeling. It's just, you know, if you, if you don't have an agent or, um, and theaters, they're just, their budgets are so tight and almost they're always on the verge of collapse. And so it's really hard to produce an unknown playwright, even if the play is spectacular. That was a great thing. I, I really 
enjoyed that experience of just saying, Martin, I'll do it. Let's just go for it. You know, just do a reading. And you and the other cast members were amazing. So I think, I think it just gave him some, (laughs) uh, just made him feel good about the fact that he'd written a good play. And, and that even if it wasn't being produced on the big stages, that people saw it and they saw its relevance and its importance. So have you done a lot of directing yourself? Yeah, I have. I That's sort of um, how I started out as an actor and a director. And then I realized that I only really liked as an actor opening night. <laughs> yeah. And when it was done, I was like, that's good. Oh, we have to do it how many more times? So I... I like the directing because I could be, I love the collaboration. I love the process of theater much more than I love the product. Uh, That's why I got into it for that kind of collaboration, that, you know, shared sense of, I love the idea that it's like, it takes a lighting designer and a sound designer and a set designer and the playwright and the director and the actors. And that it's like this beautiful creative soup but I decided that I probably shouldn't be an actress if I only liked opening night. And I stayed on as a director and a dramaturg. And that's how I met AJ Baker. I came up with the idea of like, let's do a theater company. But I was her dramaturg. I was with the Playwright Center of San Francisco. And that was offered to anyone that got a developmental reading. They would get a couple of hours with me as a dramaturg. That's kind of how the whole thing started with Three Girls Theater. And uh, I have a private practice of being a dramaturg and helping people with their structure and, and find the heart of the play. They're what they want it to be. With Martin's play, he, he made those rewrites that were spot on that you noticed there at the end of the play that kind of were repetitive. Which playwrights always end up doing, right? I mean, you always Mm -hmm. have to cut your play somewhat. And that's the beautiful thing about development. Like Mm -hmm. when you hear it, all of a sudden you go, oh. And I feel like he did hear it, but he, if I hadn't said something, I don't think he would have. And even then I thought that that the the denouement was too long. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I think it's a fantastic play. Well, I think it's an excellent play. I think if it's produced, it needs to be just cut down a little more so that it's not over three mm-hmm. hours. Today's audience can't sit for that long. I hear what you're saying about that, too, but I I, I take a little umbrage to that kind of thinking a little bit. Yeah. Um, just because oh. I think if a play is really good, it's yeah. we- really well written, and everything right. is taking this trajectory that you can sit for three hours. But yeah. I do tend to think like, you know, an underwritten play and a play that's repetitive and already made its point and should have ended half an hour ago or an hour ago, even sometimes for some of them. But that's the thing. And I think that's what's beautiful about development. Like, hopefully you can hear your repetition. But, you know, like it's that whole thing. Kill your darlings, you know, Faulkner. But a lot of people don't want to do it. I mean, I know myself, I'm like, but I love that scene. I love how they <laughs> interacted. And that's like, yeah, well, it doesn't work. So, Well, I'm, I'm glad that you didn't agree with me because I recently saw a play and it was a new play and I can't remember what it was. And it was over three hours, but it was so well done that it was completely fine with me. I didn't even realize it was that long. 
Yeah, it was like when I saw Angels in America. I wasn't looking at my watch at all. You know, I've taught playwriting classes too, and I've often said that. It's like, yeah, if you have a great play, like I I would sit through Angels in America if you're Tony Kushner and you wrote this very vibrant and every word made sense. I I would sit through it. I I wouldn't have a problem with that. But I think Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we do have a, a problem with short attention span. But I think that there is a, I don't know, I just don't want actor, uh, not actors, but playwrights to fall into that trap. Like, I can't write what I want to write. I have to do this formulaic scenario. Yeah, I agree with you, actually. I need to rethink my own uh, biases about that. I think I was just kind of buying into what I hear people say a lot, but. I went and saw the National Theater production of Angels in America, Perestroika, recently. Mm -hmm. Have you heard about what they're doing, National Theater Live, where they show their plays at movie theaters? It's really, you know. And I didn't realize that it was almost five hours long, that play. I I think when I've seen... The first time I saw Angels in America was at, um, it was a preview at ACT. Oh, years um, ago. Yeah. yeah. And a huge set design and moving things in and out. And I was at the theater for six and a half, almost seven hours. And even then, I, I mean, I was fine because it was yeah. so, it was so absorbing. And I, I think, you know, one of my playwrights from back in the day, Eugene O'Neill and, you know, Morning Becomes Electra, where they did three shows you had to go th- see all three shows, you know, yeah. I, I, and I just thought it was interesting and I I wanted to see it. So I didn't have a problem with it. But it's the same thing that it, it, forcing playwrights into this um, formula, too, where it's like you have to have an interior set, simple set. And you can only have, you know, if you want to get produced, you can only at the most have four characters. Any more than that is just you know, and it, it is, it, it does go to the finances of it, but then it's like, well, when did artists start writing yeah. for the finances of it? You know, like Mozart never did that. He wrote crazy stuff and still got his stuff produced, you know? Yeah, I don't and know. Shakespeare. I mean, his yeah, plays are long, some of them. Yeah. It's, if it's captivating and it has a, a good storyline and strong characters, I think, I think we're, willing to sit for it we might not choose it oh it's a three hour long play but i think don't say that like get the the butts in the seat and let the audience just yeah experience it you know yeah i i I agree i guess i guess i was thinking from a practical point of view but then is it worth sacrificing your art for practicality and well, I think that's the big question, especially yeah. in a culture that time is very, very, everyone's busy. Everyone, you know, is trying to fit everything in and say, been there, done that, you know. But is that really what you want as an artist? You know, is that what you want mm. as a playwright? Or would you rather, like with Martin, would you mm. rather just make something happen in a small way and keep trying to get it into the public eye in the way that you know best because it's artistically satisfying to you. It's the message you want to, it's the premise that you want to put forth. So 
what is it? And, you know, some people will say like, I just want commercial success and they'll, they'll follow the formulas. And, and there's been many people that are great at that. I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but I just think that to just teach people that and playwriting lab, you know, like, Oh yeah, you can only do that. It's, It's so limiting. And it's not that it's really not artistic. It's really just more about the financials. I know. I notice when I go to New York now, uh, unless it's a musical, many of the Broadway, the newer plays are 90 minutes long and you're out of there. You know, no intermission. Uh, just well, get it over with. Quick. Yeah. It's, it, well, it's a shame, yeah. but it's also understandable. I mean, I have time constraints myself, but and especially if you don't know if a play is good or not you know, or if you're going to like it, it's really great to see like, oh, it's 90 minutes as opposed to three hours. You're more apt to choose the 90 minute play because you're like, good, I'm in and out. And if I hate it, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to sneak out in the middle. Uh, So Suze, what is your uh, background? Did you go to school and study this or can you tell me a little about Emerson college in Boston? I started out as a poetry major, which is (laughs) so lucrative, really. And then I went and became a a theater major. So also lucrative. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. But I'm primarily a writer and I have my own company, Manuscript Mentor, where I'm a writing coach and I help people write what they want to write. And part of that is the dramaturgy for um, plays. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. So are you working with somebody currently? Yes, um, I'm really excited about uh, I've been um, Richard Fouts's um, dramaturg for a couple of years now, and he has a play called The Birthday Lottery. And it's uh, about the actual event of the the lottery for the Vietnam War in 1969. And uh, it takes place on the CBS, uh, the evening of the CBS broadcast that was so brilliantly put together by um, Nixon and uh, mm-hmm. Kissinger. And uh, it's actually these um, young men in a fraternity at Penn State listening to the broadcast and finding out when their, uh, what their draft number is and how they, how they deal with that and what all the options are, what, what they believe in. And it's, it's a, it's a beautiful play. It's 90 minutes. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> just ironically, but um, yeah, we're doing it at uh, Z space in the big theater. And, and we open March 29th and we just play for four nights, but we're doing uh, a collaboration with theater Bay area because we're bringing in Roland tech who used to be with Dramatist Guild, and he does this amazing workshop about self-producing. And that's what Richard Fouts, who's the playwright, he's self-producing this play and doing a fantastic job of it. It's very well supported, and he's really not skimping. And yeah, so we play for four nights, and we're also doing some collaboration with the VA uh, you know, veterans hospitals to do an art show like a kind of live video scenario. And also we're doing on opening night, we're doing a panel that has Vietnam vets on the panel talking about like what their experience was there. Great. I love that subject. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that play. 
Yeah, it's a really good play. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very, very good. I'm, I'm really proud of Richard. He, you know, he's a great researcher and he's, he's just a natural playwright. He, and uh, it's always great to work with playwrights and he's very open. So as a director, we have a lot of back and forth about how does that work for you? Okay. Did that work? You know, so oh, that's my that's favorite. Great. That is yeah. so good because sometimes it isn't like that. And then it's hard to really develop a play, but if the playwright is collaboratively minded, you can really create something special, I think. Yeah, it, and it's a very special play. I mean, like I said, I worked with it, uh, worked with him on it for over a year now, and he kept, you know, sending it out. And it's the same thing, like with Martin sending his play out. It's timely. It's got a message. It's the fiftieth anniversary of the freaking Vietnam War, you know. But theaters often don't take a chance on unsolicited manuscripts or unknown playwrights. So he finally just said, I'm doing this and uh, he's doing it very well. It's very well supported. It's got, uh, you know, I've noticed a lot of people are doing that now, even actors. uh, Being a member of actors equity myself, it's, it's often hard to get work now because everyone is so financially strapped. So they tend to stay with the, they stay with the same few actors for all their shows. And it's hard to, to work anywhere anymore a lot of union actors are just producing their own plays yeah well we we would love i mean we're still trying to cast two the two main roles i mean we have a good supporting i mean it's really an ensemble piece but we've approached equity to try to find out you know if we have any leeway like what it would look like and they don't make it easy to sure don't give an actor a job (laughs) and uh it's, I find it disheartening, and I find, like, now we don't have our Bay Area equity rep, you know? So, Not anymore. And anymore. The, the L.A. representation, they're just fierce. And I, I just often wonder, uh, do they even want their people to work? It's, like, it's great to be a union and make sure everyone's getting their fair rights and, you know, what they need. But mm-hmm. when equity isn't working, like, wouldn't you... I don't know. I'm. I, it's just, you would it's think so. You would think so. No, it's. I mean, probably you don't want to put that on this podcast. But we should probably uh, get back to you. <laughs> oh yeah, but, me. Yeah. I was just looking at your yeah. website here for your your dramaturg business. It looks great. Yeah. yeah well, um, I've been in that business for a number of years, and I I just find great joy in helping people write what they want to write. Realize that they can do it. And uh, it's been very rewarding, I have to say. Yeah. Well, I think that the Bay Area, despite problems that we have, is is quite a bastion of theater. I think there are over 300 theater companies in the San Francisco no, Bay Area. No, and that's the great thing. You, and everybody is doing theater, you know, they, they're doing it. And that's, I think that's what's lovely about this area but it's i think it's tricky sometimes for people to get the work or get paid for it whatever it is but no it's it's very it's a very vibrant community for theater and uh it's great to be in that mix for sure yeah so you have that coming up and what is the name of that play the birthday lottery birthday lottery and we open at z space on march 29th 
and we'll have a panel of uh, Vietnam vets, and it's a 90-minute play, and there's going to be an art response for people in the audience about war, you know, what they think about war. It's it's just exciting. There And the collaboration with Theater Bay Area, because Richard is donating, a, I forget the percentage, to to Theater Bay Area. So they're helping us with promotion. And also Roland Tech from the Dramatist Guild will be there on the, um, the Saturday to teach the to our workshop for people that want to self-produce. I mean, he's Excellent. a pro. So this, it's got a lot of facets to it, which is what I love. That's the stuff yeah. I love to do, you know, bring yeah. in all the, you know, multimedia stuff. You do a great job with it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I hope that a lot of young people come to see the play because I am realizing now that the Vietnam War is, uh, to some of us, over 50. It's a memory that we'll always have. But for other people, it's ancient history. I remember, I think about it sometimes like when I was a kid, it's similar to World War II. And I thought that was so long ago. And uh, oh, it's true. Old. Yesterday, I was at a coffee shop having a meeting and this gentleman sat down next to us and he had like an army fatigue jacket on and gray hair and pins and, you know, insignia on the jacket and i looked over and i thought wow i'm going to be obtrusive but i'm going to and i said hi are you a if you don't mind me asking are you a vietnam vet and he said yes and i said well thank you for your service and then i said i'm directing a play about the draft lottery i said i didn't know if you'd be interested in telling your story and he was like no (laughs) oh really yeah because that's the thing what we've heard from certain people are that they don't want to tell their stories from Vietnam because they're so horrific, but they yeah. always all know their draft number. So it's, it's just been an interesting, the research is very interesting, you know, and what you, and you know, the Ken Burns special, you know, PBS special was forward in people's minds, but very interesting, very interesting stuff. And, and then I, I felt like, Oh gosh, I shouldn't have said anything, but I thought, Hmm. I think it's good that you did, but part of the problem with Vietnam is there was so much shame involved because when the people got back, they were jeered by crowds and were not yeah. considered heroes like people were World War Two or World War One or maybe even Korea. But no, Vietnam uh, became they became pariahs, which was horrible. Right, like when that your we did whole that. life was taken away from you, and then you went and did what you were commanded to do and then you get back and you're called the baby killer you yeah. know it's it's a very tragic tragic time in our history it's very tragic i mean yeah. to me all wars are tragic i mean yeah. we have these ongoing wars you know afghanistan like how long are we 14 years into that but with vietnam there was just no there was no real end to it there was no real resolve and there was no real care for they were very mistreated, and yeah. it's a sad. It's sad, and it was. We went in with sixty thousand troops, you know, sixty thousand men, and thought we're going in, we're going to decimate them. This will be over, and it was like no, because we didn't know. I mean, it's like that hubris of the American government, like oh, we know, and it's like no, you don't know. They're going to be underground. You're not even going to see them coming. 
we couldn't just admit that we were losing and leave. We had to stay in to save face, I suppose. And uh, But we only stayed in enough to just keep it going instead of to end it. And it just went on yeah, and on and, and on. Yeah, and then at the end, we, we left you know, Saigon with leaving all those people that helped the United States. And yeah. we just left them to... Just abandon them. But I, you know, I agree though, but it was just like, it's so classic. And now I think it's mirroring this time right now where we are politically and where it's this kind of folly about, oh, we might be in a nuclear war. And, you know, I, I mean, I think that the same people in charge are this very similar to Nixon and Kissinger. Like, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll sign our boys up for this, you know, and our women now, now there's women involved as well. So it's, um, I, I really believe in the play and I really feel strongly about it. I mean, it's about the human experience about these boys that are cocooned in this fraternity where they're, they're star students. And one of them is a Heisman trophy football player. And then this, this decree comes down from on high and their whole world is like snatched out from under them, you know, and how young, how young all the draftees were, you know? Oh yeah. And there was a whole philosophy about, like, yeah, let's get the 19 year olds, you know? Mm-hmm. It's because like, you could really? mold them and get them to do anything you wanted to. Exactly. That was the premise. And I, I, I really feel like history repeats itself. So and I'm so well, glad I missed anyway, it by seven years or whatever. I know. Uh, well, it's so yeah. funny because some people, I didn't even know my husband, he'll be 64 in March. I mean, April, sorry. But I just said, when I was starting to do the play, I was like, did you have a draft number? And he did. Oh, I never knew that about you. But wow. by then it had ended, quote unquote. Yeah. And Richard, who wrote the play, had a draft number that was sort of low but the uh the war ended so he was saved from it so and actually ray i was now i'm just remembering martin holtz who wrote the play shooting star that you were in Mm -hmm. um he is going to serve on the panel because he had a draft number i i don't know the number but he made himself like a crazy man to get out of it (laughs) And so he's going to be serving on the panel. I forget what he calls it. I should know better. But yeah, so he's going to be on the panel because he's like, oh, man, if you're doing that play, do I have a story for you? Martin Holtz plays the madman to get out of the draft. There's another play right there. I know. I know. And I'm so excited. He's sending me. um, He said he's written it, the monologue of what he did, what he said and how he got out of going to Vietnam. Oh, and then there's that whole kind of crazy thing that we're we're coming up against too. There's going to be people that hate the people that got out of the draft, you know, that yeah. got out of going because somebody else didn't know how to do it. Or Donald Trump, who found a podiatrist that uh, <laughs> would say he had bone spurs in his feet, you know. So you know, all the privileged people found a way to get out, like, right. like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I've forgotten that that thing about Martin. Yeah. Right. I remember him talking about that. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting to have him. Well, maybe he'll write a whole play about it. Yeah. Well, I think it would be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we should probably wrap up here, Suze. Can you say one okay. more time the name of the play and uh, where it's going to be and the date and the time? It's The Birthday Lottery. It's by Richard Fouts and directed by myself. And it's going to be at Z Space for four nights starting March 29th. Okay. And that opening night, there will be an art show a video installment and a panel of Vietnam veterans and it plays till Sunday. Sunday will be a matinee. We haven't decided the time yet. Uh, yeah. So it's four, four days at Z space at the end of March up till Easter. So we hope people come. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they will. I'll tell as many people as I can. Thank you, Ray. And I'll be there. All right. Well, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for thinking of me. Boy, that was a lot of fun to talk with Suze. I hope you enjoyed that. You know, all of my podcasts can be found at raysgreenroom.com, also on iTunes or any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week, I will see you on the boards. Take care, everybody. <laughs>